Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome once again. As we continue on in a series we're doing called Developing a Disciple's Heart, uh, it, we were well into this series. We're, uh, we're 30 weeks in, but don't worry. It'll, if you haven't been here for the other uh, previous 29, they're all on the Internet. You can go home and watch them later uh, and catch up. And actually, it'll be okay. Each one kind of stands on its own. We're talking in this series about uh, getting our hearts developed and connected um, to God in, in greater ways. And really the whole premise of this has been to encourage uh, us to take 10, 15 minutes early in the day, and really 15 or 20 minutes more like it, to connect with God in a deeper way. That that's where the life of a disciple is found. And we have uh, covered a lot of ground, obviously, in the 30 weeks, and we've, we've broken this uh, idea into seven sections that we call a primer, and we talked about getting focused, and that all was about the throne room of God. We talked about getting thankful and how important it is for us to be thankful every day for things, and getting connected was about digging in in prayer with God, and uh, getting dressed was all about the armor of God and what that looks like, and we just finished up, uh, we just had been talking about getting encouraging and then what we called get her done, which was actually going out and doing the stuff. And we looked at Matthew 6, and Matthew 7, 12, um, which is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And Matthew 7, 12 is the golden rule. Most of you know that. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And so um, those six sections were all about the first three were connecting with uh, God and loving him well. The second three were about loving others well. This last section is really about loving ourselves well because um, we've, we've talked about that. You love God, love others, love your neighbors yourself, and you love yourself. And, um, it, it's kind of more of an end-of-the-day thing uh, is what we're talking about now, kind of a, an opportunity for us to reflect on what's been going on during the day and how well connected we were to God and opportunities that we took advantage of and the ones that we missed so that we can do better uh, in the days ahead. And that's what that looks like. And so we're, we're heading into the last section today. Uh, it's going to take a couple of weeks. The last of our verses together, um, we're, we're going to dig into here in a moment, Hebrews 12. And this section is also called Get Her Done, but it's with a question mark. And we look at it as Get Her Done because it's a reflective idea at the end of the day. But before we dig into that, I had this little story I thought you might enjoy before we get going. In case you haven't been here before, I like to tell a little story right about now, kind of break up things, and uh, we'll see how well this one works out. This is about a 64-year-old woman who loves to fish. She just loves to fish. And she's sitting in her boat, and all of a sudden, this just happened the other day, she hears a voice say, um, pick me up. And she looked around and couldn't see anybody, and she thought maybe she'd been dreaming or something. She heard the voice say again, hey, pick me up. And she looked in the water, and there floating on the top was a frog. And the woman said, are you talking to me? And the frog said, yes, I'm talking to you. Pick me up, and then kiss me, and I'll turn into the most handsome man you've ever seen. I'll make sure that all your friends are envious and jealous, because I'll be your husband. And the woman looked at the frog for a short time, and she reached over and picked it up carefully, and then she, she very carefully placed it in her pocket. And the frog said, what are you nuts? Didn't you hear what I said? I said, kiss me and I'll be your handsome husband. And she opened her pocket and she looked at the frog and she said, you know, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> they're usually a lot worse than that too. So I kind of reached and aimed high today. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 is our scripture reading today. It says this, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Those three verses uh, compromise this section we called Get Her Done, and we'll be uh, looking at them over the next couple of weeks. Today we're going to just kind of concentrate on Hebrews 12.1. Again, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I want to talk just briefly today about perseverance. Because I think uh, this is a, a part, uh, this whole idea is a part of loving ourselves well. We talk about doing the next right thing, but it's, it's all about persevering. The, uh, the spiritual battle is on, and we're a part of it. There's a very real enemy, and he, the attack is a very real thing. But because, you know, we're spending this time with God, we're focused, we're thankful, we're connected, we're dressed, we're out there encouraging, we're seeking first his kingdom, we're living out the golden rule. And because of all that, the enemy will try and stop you and uh, keep you from experiencing the full life that Jesus has for you. And he does that by causing you to be discouraged and distracted. Um, Discouragement will keep you from engaging fully in the life of a disciple. And there are opportunities to be discouraged that come at us constantly, constantly. They can happen and they they just keep coming. And we need to be aware of them because until we're really honest with ourselves about dealing about whatever it is that discourages us, um, we'll end up being insensitive, uh, intimidating, or negligent because discouragement causes us to be very self-focused and selfish instead of other-focused and selfless. And I think you'll, you'll find that that's very true. You, that will resonate with you. When you're discouraged, when things aren't going the way that you want them to go, um, you're not really very kind to other people. You're usually a little grumpy. You're, you're distracted. You're irritated. You're annoyed very easily. And uh, o- almost always someone can tell when something's not right with you because you're not treating them the way that you normally would or that you should. And so we have to take a look at um, the things that discourage us so that we can deal with them so that they don't steal life away from us. Because that's what tries to happen. See, real life is found as a disciple of Christ. That's where real life is found. No better life available to anyone in the universe. Best deal in the universe. Best life available now and forever is a life in Christ. And yet so many things try and rip that away from you. So many different little things come, pieces of bad news, uh, you know, things that don't go the way you want, plans that don't work out, whatever. Um, There's all these things that are constantly trying to keep you discouraged so that you don't experience life. And yet God wants us to experience real and abundant life. And, and, and that um, ultimately they, it should be able to happen in spite of difficult circumstances. And so we, we need to talk about this together. What is it that causes discouragement? And I want to read to you some verses. It's a story of uh, the history of the, the Hebrews' uh, children in, in the early part of their history. And it's the, it's the time when the people of Israel had left Egypt to go to the promised land, and in that process they become very discouraged. Let me read you the, these verses. It's in Deuteronomy 1, 19 through 33. 
It says, Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went down the hill country of the Amorites through all the vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. And then I said to you, You have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. So go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, Let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me. So I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe, and they left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. And then I said to you, Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Let me just tell you briefly about that story in case you hadn't heard it. As the the, uh, Israelites were headed to the promised land, they made some missteps along the way and had some things happen, but they... they, uh, they, they get to where they're very close to where they're supposed to go, and they're afraid to go in. So they send in 12 guys to go and check it out. And the guys come back, and two of them say, this is an awesome land. God is so good. Let's go in. Let's go take it. We need it. And 10 of them say, you know, it's, yeah, it's what they say is true, but it's filled with giants, and they have these big cities, and they're, they're, we're not going to make it. And the people listen to the 10 that are discouraging instead of the two that are encouraging, which is pretty normal. And they decide not to go. And Moses identifies the cause of discouragement in verse 32. You did not trust in the Lord your God. That's what causes discouragement. We don't trust in God. Things happen, and all of a sudden, we don't trust in God the way we need to, and we get discouraged. Anytime you're discouraged, it's because there's something that's happened, and you're not trusting God the way that he wants you to. And you're just being overwhelmed by what's happening. And so the way to overcome discouragement is to get our focus off of circumstances and onto the Lord. And we have this amazing gift, this tool that's been given to us to help us overcome discouragement and to help us change our focus. And, and the therefore that's in Hebrews 12 that we looked at when we started, it starts with a therefore. You know, and if, if you didn't know this, whenever you're reading the Bible and you see therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. Just a little tip. Okay. The therefore in Hebrews 12 is because it wants to make sure you read Hebrews 11 before you got there. And Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter. It's all about faith. And faith is the way that we overcome discouragement and live the full life of a disciple. So what does faith look like? And obviously I don't have time. It's just so multifaceted to talk about it. But I have three points I want to make real quickly. And then uh, we'll, we'll be closer to cake at that point. All right. It's not going to make sense to people watching television, but that's okay. All right. Point number one. Faith is seeing the not yet in the now. Faith is seeing the not yet in the now. That might be a, a, a strange sounding thing to some of you. We talk here uh, often about the now and the not yet in the kingdom of God. 
and, and that the kingdom is here because Jesus has come, but it's not fully here because he's going to do that when he comes back. And we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. But faith, one of the, the aspects of faith is that we, we have to be able to see and, and think about the not yet in the now. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, so faith at some level is seeing the future in the present. People are often fond of saying this, I'll believe it when I see it. You've probably heard that. Those are something that pretty discouraged people tend to say, I'll believe it when I see it. It reminds me of doubting Thomas in the scripture who wouldn't believe until he actually touched Jesus' wounds uh, from the cross. But faith requires us to believe first in order to see. Now you say, oh, that sounds a little strange, but think about it in maybe ways you can relate to. Like, it's like an artist who sees the painting in their mind before it ever becomes a reality. If, you've, if you're an artsy person, sometimes you, 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 can, you can relate to that right away. I've watched people paint. We have this beautiful mural. Uh, we have a couple of them in the church, but one's in our three to six-year-old room, and it's, uh, it's all about Noah and the ark. And I watched the, the lady who paint that, and it was fascinating to me because she just stood there, and, you, and she was just just putting paint on this wall like you wouldn't believe. It was, it was amazing. And sure enough, all of a sudden, it became Noah and the ark and these animals and everything. And I'm like, how did you do that? And she said, I just saw it. I was just painting what I saw. That's, that's amazing to me. But, but some of you might relate to that. It's like an architect who sees the building before they ever design it. They have an idea of, okay, that's what it's going to look like. And then they they get busy doing it. Um, you know, scientists had to believe they could go to the moon before they got there. That was a, do you get, they had to see that before it happened. They had to, well, let's go. And, and then start thinking about everything you'd have to do to get there. But sure enough, they did it. So sometimes you have to believe before you see it. You've got to think it's going to happen before it happens. I, have, I was just talking to Jim the other day. I don't know if he's still around. But years ago, when we were not nearly as big of a group, um, and we met in this building, and we didn't have this many chairs, and I really felt like we were about to grow. And so I said, we need more chairs. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy because we had plenty of chairs. I'm like, no, we really don't have enough chairs. I need more chairs. And I set about to ordering all the, these chairs that are up front now. I said, we got to have, uh, I think I ordered 200 more chairs. We had 300 already. I need 200 more chairs. And they just looked at me like I was crazy. And, and yet I knew that if we had the chairs, people would start to come. Do you know that a lot of times when you're here, we have four services on the weekend. A lot of times these chairs will be filled, filled, and nowhere to park. But it, it, just because it, 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 see, that's seeing what's going to happen. And yeah, that is going to happen. We need to make room to see that take place. And so you have to believe it's possible before you see it happen. Second, faith is obeying without having it all figured out. This is another biggie. Faith is obeying without having it all figured out. Two great examples of this in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11:7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah had to build an ark in the middle of the desert. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about how crazy that must have been. Um, and and it's a, it's a, I believe it's a literal story. This happened. So, so Noah, he's hanging out one day, and the Lord speaks to him and says, I need you to build a big boat. Can you imagine the conversation? What? I live in the middle of the desert. He might not even know where a boat was. Well, it's going to rain, Noah. Very possible at this time, um, if, you, if you look, it may have never rained before on the earth. The earth might have been self-watered um, with a big firmament that surrounded it, so it didn't need to rain. 
And so, so now he's in the middle of a desert, and it may have never rained before, and God has said, build a big boat because it's going to rain, and that's how you're going to save your family. I, I, can you imagine? And then can you, I can't even imagine going home telling the wife. Huh? Some of you guys, can you get that? Uh, honey, yeah, uh, this is what God said. Stop everything else you're doing and build a big boat, and eventually it's going to be a big zoo as well. Can you, what, we live, honey, we live in the middle of the desert. Yeah, I know, but I don't know, I got to kind of do this. Okay, she went along with it, and sure enough, it took years. He built a big boat in the middle of the desert, and guess what? When it was finished, and the animals had come, and everybody was completed, the rains came, and they, uh, they were saved. It's a picture of Christ coming. It's, it's got so many pictures, but he had to step out and obey, even though he didn't understand it at all. Think of the ridicule. He, everybody would have come by laughing at, what are you doing? Sometimes that's part of it. Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Here, here's another story. Here's Abraham, 75 years old, pretty well settled. And God comes to him at 75, says, all right, pack up, you're leaving. Where? Um, you'll find out. Just get ready and go. How, how many of you would be ready to do that at any age, let alone at 75? Let's go. Time to get a move on. Pack up your stuff. But he went, and out of Abraham came the nation of Israel and also us, ultimately. So faith allows us to respond in obedience even when we don't have it all figured out. But, but see, we do that because we have to be settled in the fact that God has a plan for our lives. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So God has plans for us. Now, when we get to this and where this becomes practical is this. Am I going to do what I, I, am I going to do what I feel is like the next right thing or am I going to do what God says is the next right thing even if it doesn't make sense to me? Even if it seems old-fashioned or out of touch with the culture, um, which brings up the last point, point three. Faith is doing the next right thing even when I don't feel like it. We talk about doing the next right thing here all the time. It's one of the things I, I talk about every week. Because it's, I say it's how we love ourselves best. Love God, love others, love yourself. The way you love yourself is by living, by doing the next right thing, or at least trying to. And um, faith is doing that even when I don't feel like it. And see, all of us have to fight a pretty popular cultural thing that says this, if it feels good, do it. That's what the culture tells us is the right thing. Just do what feels good. If it feels good, then that's what you're supposed to do. But that's a cultural thing. It's not a biblical thing. And the problem with that statement is it causes us a lot of pain. Because when we're driven by our feelings rather than by our faith, we're going to make a lot of really bad decisions a lot of really bad decisions and see God wants us to live a life of faith not just a life of feeling does that mean that feelings are bad well of course not God gave us feelings feelings are are certainly good but they're not what we're supposed to rely on for direction in our lives it's not just supposed to be that way they're there for other things but not really to give us direction and, and the reality is, and, and, and hopefully you'll agree with this statement, I don't always feel like doing the next right thing. Does that resonate with any of you? I don't always feel like doing the next right thing. It's a choice I have to make, but it's not always, I always feel, yeah, I always want to do the next right thing. That's not true. Sometimes I really want to do the next wrong thing, and I do it. And that's what we have to talk about, forgiveness, repentance, all those things. But, but see, life isn't found in doing 
the wrong thing. Life is found in doing the next right thing. Life is found in faithfully following the Lord by faith choosing to do the next right thing even when I don't feel like it. And one of the biggest things I hear people say in this process when they're sort of trying to rationalize bad decisions is this. They'll say it all the time. Yeah, but I know I'm probably not supposed to do it, but God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Yeah, but not if it means to compromise. Not if it means to make bad choices. That's, that's, there's difference because he's got a better way of getting you there. And so this concept, this idea of living by doing the next right thing requires perseverance. That's what this is all about. And developing perseverance requires faith in the Lord. Hebrews eleven twenty seven, just last verse, Moses, um, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. See, we persevere because we get our eyes on Jesus. We persevere because that's where life is found. We persevere in doing the next right thing because we, we understand that, you know, in all of our best efforts, it's always kind of comes up short, leaves us empty. But he has a life for us that's beyond what we can imagine. And we find that life step by step doing the next right thing. It's a life that starts now and goes forever in Christ. And so persevere. Hang in there. Do the next right thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and, uh, and we'll talk more about this. Those of you who come back next week, we're going we're gonna to finish up uh, those next couple of verses next week. But for that, just keep that in mind, what faith is. Seeing the, the not yet in the now and keeping your mind there. It's doing the next right thing even when you don't feel like it. And it's doing um, it's what, you're, what you're asked to do and called to do by God even if you don't understand all that that means. And that's where we find life. So we'll end there for now. If you're watching on television our video, thank you so much for being a part of us today and uh, for being here with us. We know how valuable your time is and we appreciate every moment of it that you give us. But we're going to close here with prayer. And so uh, thanks for watching.